Welcome to the Latin MedTech Leaders Podcast, a conversation with MedTech leaders who have succeeded or plan to succeed in Latin America. Please subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or Deezer. Welcome to the Latin MedTech Leaders Podcast, a conversation with leaders who have succeeded or plan to succeed in Latin America. Please subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, etc. Today, our guest is James Reinstein, CEO at Serenas. Hey, James, great to have you here today in the show. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks, Julio. Great to be with you. Awesome, James. So tell us about you a little bit, James. Uh, so, long-time uh, medtech, uh, med-device person. I uh, spent a number of years, almost 20 years, at Boston Scientific, working, living in uh, multiple countries, multiple regions throughout the world. Uh, started in a sales position with a division called Meditech. We didn't even know Boston Scientific was the name of the parent company. <laughs> but uh, So, basically, Meditech was their peripheral vascular division, so selling angioplasty balloons. Um, then I moved into a BD role and actually got the company, the corporation involved in interventional oncology, uh, started that that uh, division basically within Boston Scientific. They eventually sold it. Um, but I was uh, um, then tapped, we merged with SciMed Life Systems and SciMed had a very significant uh, portion of their revenue and, and business were done in, in international markets. And Boston Scientific Legacy Boston didn't really have anything going on. So Jim Corbett was leading uh, international at the time, and, and he started tapping into the divisions and saying, okay, who is willing and able to take on an expat assignment? Um, I had always had an interest and, and raised my hand. Um, my interest stems from my father-in-law who ran uh, uh, Codex South America. I lived in Sao Paulo, Brazil for, for 10 years. And uh, so did a lot of visiting there and uh and I thought, wow, this this expat uh, role could be pretty interesting. But but more importantly, I thought if I'm ever going to lead a global med device company, you, you got to have that on the ground experience. Uh, so had to convince my wife to move to Paris, which is where the European headquarters was um, and was there for five years. And during those five years, we acquired about 15 companies. Oh my God. I mean, amazing. And, uh, I integrated about half of them into the various divisions of Boston Scientific, at least the European organizations, um, which was a great learning experience, uh, very interesting, and, and the whole concept of integrating. The last company that I was involved in was Target Therapeutics, a neurovascular company. So did that integration. It was very successful, at least from Europe. And Europe was about 70% of the revenue of Target Therapeutics, so it was it was a critical uh, integration for for the corporation that had just spent a billion dollars on them, um, and so that's what um, uh, started this whole travel th through the expat uh, life. And uh, then I I did return to Boston. I was in a meeting, and I was I was in a, a role where you. Um, uh, we were sort of regional support for marketing. So we were called the intercontinental, some people call it emerging markets. And I ran the marketing for the two divisions, peripheral vascular and neurovascular. And I was in a quarterly business review with Juan Pedro Zemke, who is the VP of, of Latin America for Boston Scientific. And he was lamenting the woes of the situation he had in Mexico. And um, I was saying, well, have you thought about this? Or did you think about this? And at a certain point, he just kind of got fed up with the, the, you know, the kid in the corner kept asking these questions. And 
And he goes, well, why don't you do it? <laughs> and, and I looked over at uh, Jeff Goodman and Dan Moore, who are the heading, heading international or intercontinental emerging markets at the time. And I kind of shrugged my shoulders. <laughs> I'm like, I, know, I guess I could try. <laughs> and uh, two weeks later, my wife and I were house hunting in Mexico City. <laughs> and uh, she was seven months pregnant with our second child. <laughs> And we were there before she had the we we had our second child in in Mexico City. So oh, nice! We have a uh, I don't know if this is, this is probably a terrible thing to say, but we have a chilanga. In the, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, um, and we actually loved it so much we we had a second child in Mexico City. So I have dos chilangas. Oh my god! So they have dual citizenship now. Yeah, yeah, we've kept up their passports. They're now, I mean, they're now uh, 20 and 18, but uh, yeah. Beautiful. Good for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was, I mean, that was uh, just one heck of an experience. Uh, it was my first sort of general management experience. So the way we ran countries back then would be, um, you know, all functions were autonomous in, in the country. We had a regulatory, we had a finance department. And once a quarter, my boss would, come to town with his team and it was kind of like a board meeting uh so it was uh it was it was very interesting and um a lot of you know dynamic uh business opportunities there i just just had a blast five years we, we spent um and uh you know we had had a, just a great time and and um that allowed or that that success led to an offer for me to go run um a, a region in asia <laughs> So I basically, instead of running a country, I ran sort of the area um, of uh, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and Korea. And because Korea was the largest and most dysfunctional of the, of the of these countries, um, it was uh, that's where I lived. We lived in Seoul, Korea, for for three years. Um, and I was on my way to come back and report to Jim Tobin, the CEO of Boston Scientific at the time. Um, but in the interim, I got a call from a guy, uh, Dan Moore, who I'd worked for on and off over the years at Boston. He had just, just become the CEO of Cyberonics, so a neurostim company based in Houston. And um, <clears throat> that was, uh, you know, it was, it was one where I actually called Tobin. And I said, look, I'm not going to come. I'm not coming, but I'm going to go down to, to Houston. Boston Scientific owned 20% of the, of the equity. It was a publicly traded company. And uh, Jim said, well, you realize that's not a turnaround. Like, I know you're a turnaround guy, but you know that's a reclamation. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I know. I got, I got a pretty good, uh, you know, Dan being the honest guy that he is. I said, I got a pretty good idea of what we're facing. And it was, it was an interesting, I mean, they, they had about $100 million in revenue with a good margin, you know, probably solid 70% gross margin. But uh, had lost sixty million dollars two years in a row, so they were good at it. Um, so we came in and basically, you know, we had to. They had they had a significant number of people on the team, and we. I was the chief commercial officer. I think I had an organization of about three hundred people. Um, I took it down to eighty and grew revenue eighteen percent. Sure, that's what I imagine. Yeah, that's streamlined the operation. Well, I mean, you had five different customer facing groups. None of them, not a single one of them, was in charge or responsible for bringing revenue. And I was, you know, so when I mean, so whenever you know something went wrong, there was it was like, oh, you know, it's this yeah, guy. exactly. 
Everybody blamed so, each other, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So it was like, okay, well, this is, um, you know, we weren't splitting atoms. I mean, I didn't have to be that smart, but it was just really good business acumen and, and putting in place the right people, getting the right people on the bus, maybe getting rid of a couple of buses. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, I was there for um, almost five years. We took the market cap up from about, it was about 400 million when I got there and over 2 billion when I left. Oh my God, James, that's crazy. Yeah, it was a great run. It was a great run. And uh, the, Dan had signed a four-year agreement and he was, um, he was up coming up on that. And the, so the board did a process and they said, yeah, Reinstein, you're going to replace him, but we're going to try to keep him." And they succeeded. So they, they were able to keep him. And I'm like, well, all right, you guys think I'm ready to run one of these things. I want to run one. It's not going to happen at this company. And at the time I'm in Houston, I said, well, it's not going to happen in Houston because there isn't a company. Uh, so that's when I, I left, went out to the Bay Area and ran uh, Aptus Endosystems, did that for, for three years until Medtronic bought it. Um, and then uh, have kind of been on this CEO run ever since. And, and But what, I, what Aptus was, was a um, adjunctive, um, it was sort of the, the helical screw, uh, the, the endo anchor, they called it. Um, that was adjunctive to stent grafts for AAA. And when I looked at Serranus, the company I'm running now, which is here in Houston, um, they finally, and I'm, I'm here operating under this incubator where you've got close to 100 companies that are incubating in the, uh, they call it the Texas Medical Center, the TMC. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah. Just a really great, uh, uh, um, you know, environment and uh, a very positive uh, place to work. Um, and so... <clears throat> But when I looked at Serranus, I thought, wow, okay, adjunctive technology, but it's not as expensive as the Aptus product was. It can be adjoined to multiple procedures, not just AAA, but, you know, the mechanical circuitry sports, TAVR. And when we get our next generation product, then we're talking about peripheral vascular, neurovascular, all kinds of, of these vascular disease where, where bleeding complications do occur. Um, and, and what we've discovered or proven uh, in a clinical study, we'll do a larger one, is, is, is that if the care team, either periprocedurally or postprocedurally, is aware that there's a bleed beginning, right now they, they basically feel for it or look for the hematoma, and it's almost too late. You're heading into complication land by then. Um, our device lets you know when you've got about 50 cc of blood that's um, you know, extra arterial in the tissue. Uh, and then all the way up to 200, you're still less than half a half a unit of blood. So it's it's phenomenal technology. It works extremely well, 100% sensitivity, and a very high specificity. So it's um, really really good technology. And we're just now funded and hiring the team, the sales team. We're going to do a larger clinical study, uh, and it's um, yeah, really excited about it. We we just got funded. Baird Venture Partners led the round. Uh, so they've been, they'll be a great partner for us going forward. Excellent, James. I mean, quite a ride, quite a journey. And you've had, uh, and especially the Latin American piece of it. Uh, so let's talk about Latin America in a little more details, uh, James. Um, what trends do you see happening in the world or in Latin America, political, economical, social, that are kind of beneficial to our discussion today or for the business of uh, doing trials or selling devices in, in the region? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's, I, I would say definitely opportunities for, for the commercial, you know, there's commercial opportunities and finding the right partners. Um, you know, most companies like Serranos would not 
be trying to outfit direct teams. So it's trying to find third party partners. Um, and that's, that's pretty much the norm. In the past, I've done some hybrid versions of that, uh, such as Cyberonics, where we had a we had a small kind of tiger team on the ground that managed the distribution network. And I always thought that that was critically important because you need to have uh, someone on your team that speaks the language, speaks the culture, and is you know um, you know supporting the the third parties or or maybe a, you know a boot in the tail of the third parties, which sometimes is necessary. But you know that's uh, but it's really about training support and, and getting, uh, uh, getting, providing that to them in, in the best way possible. And you really need somebody on the ground to do that, I, I believe. Yeah, um, I agree with you. And I've seen that trend or, or that um, structure happening um, in the region a lot. And, and I think that's, a, that's the ideal way to enter a new, a new market, Asia, Latin America, because uh, distributors come and go, but uh, your people are advancing your agenda. They are helping you generate demand and supporting the work of the distributor, doing co-marketing activities, training the distributor and the new distributors because they don't always stay with you for for as long as you want. So you always have to be looking for new distributors, new ways to, to expand the coverage in the country. So, for example, in Colombia, Mexico, such large countries, Brazil, you need a few distributors. I mean, more than one, certainly, to cover the whole country. So, Yeah, I mean, even in Mexico, when, when I went there with Boston San Diego, we were predominantly direct, but we still had a distributor because the process to get into military hospitals or to the Eames, the Eames, you really, really needed a third party to, to do that um, in, in most instances, most cases. So, um, but, uh, you know, smaller companies like I'm in now, or even, you know, Cyberonics, we, we did that sort of hub and spoke uh, approach. Uh, we had, we had a group in, in Sao Paulo, and then he had one or two of his uh, marketing support people uh, in, you know, I think one in Mexico, you know, the larger countries, uh, Brazil, for sure. He was in, he was in Sao Paulo. So, yeah, so I see that, um, you know, the other area, and this is what we did when I was at Cyberonics, now Leva Nova, is um, initiated manufacturing uh, in, in Costa Rica. Um, you know, there's a, there's a whole, you know, center, uh, you've got almost every large company there. Um, but, you know, the one thing I did while I was at Boston Scientific, we had about five of these maquilladoras, uh, you know, on the frontier, in the on the border border towns, um, and uh, I was the in-country representative. I really didn't have much to do with it, and uh, other than you know quarterly board meetings, and but I never had to physically go, <laughs> which was interesting. But uh, you know that was that was a great uh, you know opportunity for companies. Uh, you know, obviously NAFTA driven at the time, but. Um, uh, but, but, you know, putting the, we were deciding between Costa Rica and Ireland, uh, to put manufacturing and, and it really wasn't even close. I mean, I had worked very closely with the Boston scientific's Irish manufacturing in Galway. Then we even opened up another one in Cork, but, um, it really was, it just made so much more sense, uh, for, for Costa Rica to be the, the destination for that manufacturing plant. Hmm. You know, Costa Rica is coming up a lot in Colombia. Because Colombia is now targeting nearshoring, right? You know that term now, where countries are, where the relationship between the United States and China, you know, has some tension. So uh, companies are looking to nearshore their operations. 
And Colombia is going after that market. And uh, recently, the government just announced an initiative to bring pharmaceutical and medical device nearshoring to Colombia. And they are looking at Costa Rica as one of the examples of a successful policy, state policy to attract nearshoring. I mean, such a small country, all you hear is the jungle and, and the, the kids from high school going on vacations to Costa Rica. You would never imagine that such a small country has such a strong manufacturing medical device manufacturing industry and very sophisticated by the way so oh yeah no it's uh i mean concerted effort on their part to develop it i don't know when it was decades ago maybe but uh you know you go to that region and you've got every you know boston striker every every company seemingly abbott has a huge facility there um and they have the infrastructure to support it exactly exactly so uh, they're doing something right and and colombia should get inspiration from from there. That's, that's certainly something that I that I see happening in the near future uh, um, in terms of Colombia or other countries in Latin America. I, I think countries in Latin America, James, are maturing. They are realizing that exporting coffee and avocados, and in the case of Colombia, cocaine and bad news <laughs> for Netflix is not going to cut it. <laughs> they need to diversify <laughs> and get more uh, complex in, in what they export, right? Knowledge yeah, is what we need to export sure. in the country. So, you know, Colombia keeps coming up for me as well for um, doing clinical trials. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, I guess, a couple key centers there. Um, you know, we, we are going to do a <clears throat> post-market study, but, you know, just in just in U.S. centers uh, for, for Serranos. But I know that uh, there's actually a company here called Procyrian. I believe they're doing, uh, they did their initial first in man in Colombia. Excellent. I'm, I'm happy to, to hear that. Very good. Very good. Yeah, James, uh, you're bringing up a good point. I, I think, um, I mean, this is what I do. I do clinical trials, early feasibility clinical trials, and we also help companies sell medical devices in Latin America. And I've seen the regulatory framework of pretty much all countries in Latin America, because a lot of my clients uh, first come to me thinking about Brazil or thinking about Argentina or thinking about Mexico. So I have to study the regulatory framework and their environment for clinical research, specifically early stage. And it's not that friendly um, as compared to Colombia. And Colombia has some some good advantages. Uh, and, and one of the, the advantages is the not only Colombia, all over Latin America, uh, but is the ease of patient recruitment. It's a lot easier to recruit patients because they have they don't have as many options as patients have in the United States, right? You have 20 other FDA-approved options that may delay, or you, you can do pain management or something that can delay uh, some some more drastic intervention. Um, uh, you're not going to subject in the United States yourself to a, a, an investigative uh, a device that has not been tested in, in humans. They just tested a device in a couple of pigs, and you don't want to be the first one, right? And at least not in the United States. Whereas in, in Latin America, unfortunately, patients have delayed access to medical innovations. So if you come with a with a device that can treat your chronic disease in 15, 20, 30 minutes, they will sign up for it. I mean, immediately. And they also trust the doctor. So if the doctor suggests that you get in the trial, they will 
take the advice of the doctor. So that's one thing. And another thing is the um, it's cost savings. In the case of Colombia, the Colombian peso, James, has become the third, one of the, the top three most devalued currencies in the world. And, and so it's really a bargain to buy services from a hospital in Colombia now because it's so cheap. <laughs> so, so yeah, so those are kind of uh, the advantages of doing trials. Are, are they going to move to uh, Bitcoin? Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> That's kind of a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know why they're doing that. I, I think they're seeking publicity or something. But, uh, but it, it's interesting. Not trying something new, at least. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, give yeah, me credit. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so so James, um, what do you think about the EUMDR, about that trend happening in Europe and the relationship with Latin America? Do you think that will benefit the region somehow? Benefit uh, Latin America or yeah. EU? No, the uh, Latin America. Yeah, more trials, more companies looking at Latin America to start their sales efforts. Yeah, I mean, you could already see this trend between U.S. the FDA and notified bodies in Europe, um, even leading up to to MDR. I mean, it was the notified bodies. You know, I call them; they're like the airlines. <laughs> they really don't care about you as a customer, um, and they forget that that's actually the relationship. Um, you know, they're just, and have multiple companies that I was helping, uh, back when I was consulting were just lamenting, oh, this, this notified body, that notified body. And it's just amazing. And, you know, these are the smaller companies. They're not going to get the Boston scientific attention. Um, so it's, it's, uh, making what was already, uh, what I would consider a, a dubious opportunity to make money, um, it's commercially in Europe. Uh, that much more difficult. Um, now, the other side of the coin is, as a small company like Soranus, you we really need to have CE Mark. Um, if if nothing else, not so much for the commercial benefit, but to be able to say to a potential acquirer, you know, where you already have market access. Um, and but you know, having FDA is irrelevant to to MDR, uh, fortunately or unfortunately. Uh, but in some Latin American countries, that it's the benefit. That's kind of all you need. Um, but uh, you know, it's 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 no you know kind of layup. In in as you know, in some countries, it's 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 great. I mean, it's easy access, like Chile. But uh, you know, Brazil was probably the other extreme. Maybe even Argentina now, I think, has gotten more difficult. Um, Mexico is making some effort there, from what I understand. But still. It's a little convoluted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 too bad that you know, with FDA approval, which isn't you know, as is isn't that easy, but actually compared to MDR, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a walk in the park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we were Serranus. Our product was a de novo five ten k. We did a clinical study already for sixty patients. I guess it was post market, um, but it wasn't required for for approval. So, um, but you know, this is, this is a pretty arduous, uh, requirements, you know, the tech file is not necessarily the same tech file you're going to give to the FDA. Um, so, uh, I think it, it could create opportunity for, for Latin America, but you know, here's the door, the door is open or, or the government's going to react and say, okay, let's figure out a way, you know, least burdensome path, uh, approach. And if they do, then, then certainly opportunities will exist.
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think uh, going back to Colombia, Colombia is poised to benefit from it somehow. Because, um, by the way, it has the fastest regulatory approval time for a clinical uh, trial uh, and also for a commercial device. If you already have the approval of a reference country, reference country being Canada, the United States, uh, Europe, Japan, and Australia, uh, getting in Vima approval in Colombia is pretty straightforward. By law, the agency has to reply in 90 days, and they do. So it's considered one of the, the countries with faster, with the fastest access to. Mm-hmm. to so one of the questions, we were talking earlier about uh, distributors come and go, right? So in some countries, the license is held by the third party. In some countries, you can actually, as a company, hold it yourself or appoint it to somebody who isn't the distributor that you need to, to potentially change out. Yeah. Where, you know, for me, the ideal is company can hold it, but uh, sometimes that's most cases, not the case. Where is it an opportunity to hold, have it in a third party? So if you do change out a distributor, it's not another period of time that you're out of the market. That's a, that's a interesting comment you're making here. And, and going back to Colombia, <laughs> because that is the only country in Latin America, James, by the way, that allows foreign entities to be the title holder of their registration. You don't have to rely on a local distributor or in a third-party registration holder that is also a local company and pay like $300 every month or something like that for that privilege. So, yeah, that's one of the benefits of Colombia. Without mentioning the the fact that healthcare is a constitutional right, so you get reimbursement, pretty much guarantee in the system, which is European style, kind of a universal coverage, everything is covered, kind of easy access to the system uh, uh, from the patient standpoint. And, and uh, if they don't get you the device or the diapers that you need or the medicine that you need, you can go all the way up to the Supreme Court and get your right respect it and, 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 and they get you. Are there, a lot of, are there a lot of diaper cases heading to the Supreme Court? <laughs> <laughs> There's a case that, of a lady that, that this is an actual case. I'm not joking. There's a lady who went through a procedure, James, and uh, it's a famous case in Colombia that exemplifies my, my point. And uh, she couldn't go up to the second story in her house. So she needed an elevator. And she went all the way up to the Supreme Court <laughs> to get that interview. Wow. In wow. House. So yeah, that's the way it is. <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah. So anyway, but going back to your point, it, 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 that little things like that, like you as a foreign entity being able to have total control over your registration, is 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 really a, an advantage that makes Colombia a very business friendly country. And, and 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 Colombia with Mexico, with Chile, and and Costa Rica now are OECD countries. So they're adopting world-class policies to attract business. So Colombia is is leading this in in in, uh, in the regulatory framework. So so yeah, that that, that helps a lot. Yeah. So so. What are your plans with Saranas, uh, James? I mean, how do you see Latin America playing a role in your company, in your future? Do you have any markets in, ma- in mind, any next steps in Latin America in mind? 
Yeah, I mean, our initial focus certainly is is getting U.S. traction, uh, getting some, uh, getting this enrollment into our clinical trial, which will be a 260 patient um, trial to demonstrate a reduction in, in bleed complications when our product is used versus not. And we'll compare that to uh, existing published data that's out there. Um, with regards to, you know, commercialization would be, uh, you know, we're, we're hiring the team up here for, for U.S., but but we'll also start looking to external markets. The company never did anything outside of U.S. Don't we, you know, we're going to start from ground zero with the CE mark. Um, so we've got to go after. But, but what I am looking at is what can we do in, you know, countries like Latin America, even countries, you know, regions like Middle East. Um, or countries in Latin America and Middle East that that have sort of the criteria that I want, um, which is, you know, what's the status of, of the license holder? Call it that. Um, what's the what's the you know size of market? There's there's obviously the the you know ability to sell into that market, public private. Uh, you know, what was the process? Not just not just for approval, but but what's the uh, financial side of the reimbursement uh, status and all that. So there's there's kind of a extensive checklist that that I operate off of. So you know, but we probably won't start looking to uh, Latin America until next year and more likely second half. Um, but but at that time we'll be you know, because ideally what I want is somebody dedicated inside Serranus to manage that. Um, right now I'm the only right now I'm the only one <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm not prioritizing uh, you know Latin America. however, um, you know I, I do think the countries that you just listed earlier, you know Mexico, Colombia, Chile. Um, Chile, um, certainly. Mm-hmm. And then if, if uh, you know, Brazil's obviously a great and large market, great country. Uh, it's just, a, it's a regulatory uh, um, behemoth. So it's it's uh, pretty, pretty much a barrier. Yeah. Excellent, James. So it looks like that Latin America is in your radar. That's what I wanted to hear. And that's what I wanted yep. listeners to to. To hear directly from you that uh, you yeah. certainly and I definitely have a lot of uh, a lot of friends, obviously particularly in Mexico, but uh, you know having uh, worked in, in the entire region and uh, you know reported to Argentina while I was in Mexico, uh, certainly have a lot of friends and, uh, and old colleagues that that are. Uh, in fact, I think a good good friend uh, Carlos Flores is in uh, is in Colombia, or he I mean he is Colombian. I think he's got a business going in Colombia. So yeah. He, he reached out to me recently, so excellent, excellent, and and Juan, Juan Muñoz, <laughs> your good friend too, <laughs> in Colombia. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right, James, it's been a delightful conversation, and uh, we're close to the end of the show. Uh, any final words of wisdom? Uh, what would you say to the CEO of uh, newer medical device company that is just starting to look at Latin America as a place to do business trials or commercialization, what would be your, your final words to him? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's, there's plenty of opportunity. There's, there's plenty of reason uh, to want to, to have activities in Latin America, be it clinical study. Uh, certainly the first in man opportunity is, is presented itself as, as, as being real. Uh, the commercial opportunities are certainly there and then one that we're going to pursue uh, for sure. But then, you know, finally is, is 
as you get larger and, and wanting to do this offshore, near shore, as you said, um, manufacturing, uh, it's it, there, there's there's an industry there, and it's not even burgeoning. It's it's there. I mean, it exists. Uh, so it would be one for, for all those um, opportunities uh, exist for for certainly medical device companies. Um, you know, and then you know something I've always looked at. So people said, "Oh, you you did multiple expat assignments. You were pretty successful at each of them, which led to the next one and the next one." Um, and you know, somebody asked me how how did you approach it? I said, "Well, look, I believe that um, you know everyone in the world is pretty much the same. Maybe eighty percent, and I don't even. I'll just make up a number. Say eighty percent the same. It's that other twenty percent that is really different." <laughs> And that's what is the shiny toy that everyone focuses on. And that's what you absolutely need to ignore. It doesn't matter. Stay where the commonality exists. You know, you want to do well in your job. You want to be recognized for that success. You want to provide for your families. You know, all those things, intangibles that don't separate us, you need to focus on. Ignore I the love differences. It. Nice yeah. words. <laughs> Good thinking. <Yeah. laughs> With wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> James. It's been, again, a, a fascinating conversation. I I learn so much every time I speak with somebody of your caliber, with somebody of your experience. And uh, I can't thank you enough for being in the show today. And I'm, I'm sure listeners uh, have learned a lot from, from you, from your words, from your wisdom, from your experience. That oh, was a pleasure, uh, Julio. I enjoyed it. And thanks for the invitation. And, and uh, look forward to working with you. Beautiful. Bye, Good. James. All right. Take Bye.